Let's pray. Father, we uh, bless you. You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And uh, so grateful that uh, for the gift of salvation, that we are no longer enemies, but friends. And so grateful that, um, that we don't have to wait until you return or until we come to you for relationship, that we get to enjoy um, relationship with you today, um, every day, um, in the midst of trials of various kinds. We thank you that you um, care for us, that you hear us, and that you bring healing to us um, through your spirit and through your word. So, uh, Spirit of God, please have your way with us here in this um, uh, auditorium this morning and online this morning. God, may you uh, meet us and transform us with your life-giving and life-changing word. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning and to uh, be able to see the camera for those of you that are out there. Um, we are finishing up the book of James. We've been in this book for um, 13 weeks, I think, and um, we get to wrap it up today. And uh, it's been a great book for me. Um, the Lord is just, um, it's just perfect timing um, for me and just what's going on in my heart. And, um, and even the way that James ends it today, I'm just never, um, I just, uh, I never tire of God's word and how he meets us right where we're at with his word every time. Um, the last few months, if I were to be like completely transparent, I think I shared this a few weeks ago too, have been actually pretty tough for me. Um, and it kind of caught me by surprise. I was just kind of clicking along. Um, really, I felt like in some ways, like these like pandemic scenarios, I really feel like I'm built for it. I just kind of jump into action and just, just get things done. Um, and there's been a ton to think through, as you can imagine. There's a lot to uh, pray about, um, a lot to plan for. But what I found out is I've been going through my days, day after day, um, just like reacting and um, doing things in my own strength. And, what I, and, I, and I set aside my weekly prayer time. Um, historically, I've, I've tried to prioritize intentional time on Tuesday mornings just to pray and to uh, seek the Lord and to ask. And uh, that went away because I, I'm prone to jump into uh, just fixing things. Um, that's just my, that's my, my default. Um, and so when the heat gets turned up, that's what I do, rather than intentionally and consistently turning to the Lord in prayer first. Um, been doing a ton of my own strength um, and have not been devoted to intentional prayer. Uh, but God is so gracious. Uh, the Father um, is always there with His arms open just waiting um, for us to come to Him. Um, he doesn't point the finger, um, but he uh, lets us kind of stumble along, and then he says, hey, when you're kind of done fixing things, like, I'm right here, um, and, and I've given you my spirit to help you. I want to start with um, understanding what prayer is, um, just at a, from a biblical perspective. Prayer at its simplest level is personal communication with God. Prayer is where we speak back to God in response to him speaking to us through his word. You've heard that God knows what is on your heart before you express it. He knows what you're going to ask before you ask it. So the question might be, well, why even ask the Lord? And it's because prayer isn't so much about what we ask for as it is a means of pursuing the gift of relationship with him. In prayer, we enjoy this gift of having God's ear 
while we grow in understanding that we are not just his creation, but we're his friends. And as such, he wants to hear from his friends. Prayer is experiencing what it means to enjoy God as an end in himself, not just a means to our petitions. I think it's John Piper that said this. I've got it in quotes. The heart of prayer is not getting things from God, but getting God. The heart of prayer is not getting things from God, but getting God himself. C.S. Lewis had this to say about prayer. Prayer in the sense of petition, asking things, is a small part of it. Confession and penitence are prayer's threshold. Adoration is prayer's sanctuary, and the presence and vision and enjoyment of God is its bread and its wine. So let me ask you this morning, how's your prayer life? A better question might be, are you quicker to pray or are you quicker to fix things? Have you been enjoying intentional communication with God? Intentional. Have you been leaning on Him, or are you leaning more on yourself? So how's your prayer life? If you're like me, at some some level, I want more. I want more of God. I want more of His presence. I want to experience more intimacy in my relationship with Him. James will teach us today that prayer is relationship. He's going to teach us that to pray in proximity. And he's going to teach us actually to pray for healing. Sounds dangerous, doesn't it? You're going to be encouraged and reminded today that God cares for us, that he hears us, and he wants to bring healing to us. In this amazing, convicting, encouraging book, James has peppered us with 54 imperatives. 54 uh, do this and don't do that. And if we're not careful, we're going to leave this book next week with a longer to-do list than we started with. And that's not the point. But I want to just, I want to just list at a very high level some of these imperatives um, that James has encouraged us towards. He says, in the middle of trials of various kinds, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We've been told to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness or humility the implanted word. And he said, don't just just, um, receive it. He said, be doers of the word. Don't just hear the word, but be doers of the word. Have a faith that works. We learned about the trap of partiality, that we're not to be partial. We learned about the danger of the tongue. We learned about judging one another rightly and how to make wise decisions and plans. These are all very good. Obviously, they're in God's Word. And they they point to a faith that works, but it's not about a to-do list. It's about a working faith that is motivated and compelled by a relationship with the one who loves us. You see, these works can only be produced by a deepening relationship with the object of our faith. When we pursue obedience to biblical imperatives while not actively and intentionally pursuing the relationship, it's, it's, you'll end up where I've, where I've been. 
You end up um, in a joyless, uh, frustrated state of perpetual failure, honestly. When our kids were younger, it was much easier for my kids to obey me and submit to my authority as their father when they know that I loved them, when they knew that I was for them. They came to understand my love and devotion for them over time by spending time with them, hearing my heart, seeing my character. And there were seasons as, as, a, as a dad when things, didn't, when things got busy and I didn't or I wasn't able to prioritize one-on-one time with them, and our relationship suffered. They started to forget about my unconditional love and my character. So I made it a priority to date my kids. Sounds weird, but I did it. Um, I had three kids is all. I don't know how you do with seven kids, but to spend time with them one-on-one because I wanted to know that their daddy, that the priority for daddy was relationship, Um, not just giving a bunch of rules for them to obey. And you know what? I still do this with my adult kids. They don't have to obey me. There's no rules that I have for them, but I want them to know that dad loves them. There's nothing that speaks love and commitment than spending time in the context of relationship. Here at the end of this encouraging and convicting letter, James reminds us of the importance of relationship. Yes, I'll say it again, he's concerned about a faith that works. But this faith that works needs to sprout from a deeper relationship with the Father. And our relationship is deepened in the soil of fervent prayer. Intentional prayer. In the midst of trials of various kinds, James wants to leave us with a reminder of the priority of relationship with a God who hears us, who cares for us, and wants to bring healing to whatever it is you're experiencing. Quite frankly, um, spiritual, emotional, and physical. We're going to talk about it. Some of you are a little bit nervous right now. Where is he going to go with that? Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone in afflicted or in any type of trouble? These are the trials of various kinds that James is writing about. Suffering is a very broad term. It's not necessarily suffering for our faith, but it's general suffering that all human beings endure at one time or another. From the smallest to the largest, yes, there are purposes in our trials, We've talked about it. Um, The purposes that James lays out is that the the purpose for trials is that that God deepens our faith with him. He purifies our hope. And he exposes our fleshly desires. Well, it's all good to know that God has uh, has purpose in our trials. But how do we get through the trials? How do we get through these uh, trials of various kinds? It's to draw near to the Lord during times of trials. So James says, let the troubled or the afflicted or those suffering pray. Speak to God about it. Bring your requests to Him. Take a break. Um, Take a deep breath. Stop striving for a moment and speak to Him. He's there. He cares. He hears. And He wants to bring healing 
This last week, a dear brother of mine that's a pastor with one of the Crossway churches in Oregon, we were just talking about this season that I've been in and a similar season that he's been in. And, um, and he reminded me of Psalm chapter, chapter 6, where the psalmist says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. The Lord heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Are you afflicted? Are you in trouble? Are you experiencing suffering or trials of various kinds? Pray, knowing that He hears you, that He cares for your predicament, and He wants to bring healing to your situation. Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone happy? Let him sing praise. It's the opposite of trouble. It's smooth waters. And we do have those. And some of you feel guilty when things are good because you see other people that have things that aren't so good. And it's good to bear one another's burdens. But he also wants you to be happy and cheerful and sing praises to him in those times of smooth waters. Nancy and I were in Nigeria eight or nine years ago. And I remember we just, it was like 12 days of just like um, poverty and dirtiness and um, beautiful people, but they just lived in hard places. And at the very end of our trip, um, somebody took us to this Chinese restaurant in the capital of Nigeria, in Abuja. And like, you know, we were, we were eating meals for like 50 cents for these 12 days. And we go to this Chinese restaurant, like it's, you know, it's like 20 bucks for a plate. We, and, and, and we felt so guilty about it. Um, and that's not the emotion that the Lord wants us to have. Like, like when, a, when God gives you good gifts, like he wants you to be happy about them and enjoy them. Um, some of you, um, I've, I've heard of, of families that have just had a baby and then their best friends had a miscarriage and they felt guilty about being cheerful or happy in the midst of that baby because they felt so bad for their, for their friends. And I think that there can be sorrow or carrying other people's burdens um, that can coexist with happiness um, with uh, the situations the Lord has given us. Ecclesiastes speaks to this. Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verses 1 and 4. For everything there's a season, and a time for every matter under the heaven. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. And in cheerful times, let's... Let's laugh and dance, because there's going to be plenty of times to weep and mourn. Is anyone cheerful? Sing praises. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Is anyone sick? This, re this refers to a specific type of suffering. It involves weakness. Could be physical weakness, could be emotional weakness, could be spiritual weakness. 
But this person is so sick and so weak that they can't get up and go to the elders. So they need to call the elders to come. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them. A few things I want you to notice here. James assumes that the sick, sick Christian is part of a church and that the church has elders. You see, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian that is not connected to a local body of Christ. The enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking to devour. There's so much pain and suffering in this world. Who's going to lift you up? Who's going to pray for you? And it's not one elder, it's plural elders. Next, the elders pray over the sick person. I want you to notice that. This gives a sense that the sick, sick person is stuck and sick physically, emotionally, or spiritually. This person is potentially so helpless or hopeless in their affliction that they're not even able to pray. I know people have been in that position before. And then it says that the elders are to come and pray over the sick person and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The elders are called not because the elders have any special power, but because they're called to the ministry of prayer and the ministry of word, of the word. We see that in Acts. It's also important to note that the oil doesn't have any special power. Even though in that, in that day, olive oil was used for medicinal purposes, here it represents or symbolizes the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to heal. And it was used sim symbolically in relationship to that supernatural healing. It's only the Spirit of God that can ultimately heal now or heal later at the resurrection. James tells us, tells us the elders are to pray over the weak person, anointing him with oil and praying in the name of the Lord. This is the prayer of faith. It's having faith that the Spirit can and will heal and faith that the Lord will accomplish His good will and perfect, uh, and, and don't miss this, in His good and perfect timing. He may not heal everyone today, but every Christian will be healed at the resurrection. We'll be given a new body. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more suffering, and there'll be no more death. It's in His good will and His good and perfect timing. Not my will be done, Jesus said, as He was praying to the Father, but your will be done. And I want you to notice in verse 15 that healing is promised. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Uh, anointing with oil and praying in the name of the Lord is the prayer of faith. It's faith that God cares. It's faith that God hears. One of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament is Habakkuk. And if you know anything about that book, is that God pronounced judgment on, on, on God's people. And Habakkuk is just crying out to the Lord saying, no, Lord, don't destroy us. And as he cries out to the Lord and he registers his complaint with the Lord, he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He said, I will take my stand at my watch posts and I will station myself on the tower and I will look out to see what he, God, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk knows what we should know, that even in the deepest, darkest trials that God hears and we should be expectant for his answer. 
So if the, we need to have faith that God cares, faith that God hears, and then faith that God heals. Trusting that the Lord will be true to his promise to heal or raise up the sick Christian now or later. And finally, we need to have faith and pray expectant prayers, knowing that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or can even imagine. I fall short here. I, I, put, I stand on God's sovereignty that God is going to do what God's going to do. And that's true. But I often don't pray expectant prayers because I just trust God with the outcome. And that's actually a lack of faith in not praying expectant prayers. At the end of verse 15, James seems to make a hard right turn. After all the focus on prayer for those who are sick, he jumps to the topic of forgiveness of sins. And if he, the sick person, has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And the question that we got to ask, is there a correlation between sin and sickness? And yes, there seems to be, at least in this particular case. But we need to be careful because not all sickness is a result of the sick person's sin. We know that all sickness is a result of, of, of uh, the, all the sin in the world. We live in a broken world. Um, there's cancer. There's COVID. There's sleeplessness. There's death. There's car accidents. But we also know this. That Scripture does tell us that sickness can be a result of sin. If you want to cross-reference, just check out 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So James says, if he, the sick person, has sinned, meaning his sickness is a condition or a result of his sin, he will be forgiven. All who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins will be forgiven. And actually, we're forgiven today for every past, present, and future sin. This is a present reality. You know this. James is making the point that we will be healed from every physical, emotional, and spiritual ailment when Jesus returns or when we die to meet him. But James wants us to have victory and healing now for sin that is making us sick and hindering our relationship with the Father. I don't know, if I think about it, if I've been sick because of sin before. Um, I think there's times, actually, when, um, when I know I've sinned against somebody, and I, and I carry that sin around with me for a few days without confessing it to the person that I've wronged. Um, I do sense, it's like I'm, I'm weary. Um, I've got a stomachache at times. You know, I'm not sure if that's the sickness that he's referring to. But... The point is, is that our sin can cause sickness. Verse 16, because our sin can cause sickness, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You see, James is drawing a conclusion that since sickness can be related to sin and sin can hinder, hinder our relationship and joy with the Father, he says, confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. He says, you need to, in order to confess your sin, you need to, you need to what? You need to know your sin. You need to know your sin and then confess your sin and then to pray for one another for healing. Physical healing, emotional healing, and spiritual healing. This is very much faith at work. It's the work of examining ourselves, confessing sins, and 
praying for one another's healing. I don't know about you, but there's times where I have a desire to pray for those who are sick, and I don't. I either forget or I don't make the time for it. And one way to ensure that you do pray for someone and their need, uh, you get a realm post. Bing, pray for this person. Um, You're sitting in a community group. Somebody says, uh, pray. Um, You're talking in the lobby after the service, and somebody um, confesses sin or they share a burden. Uh, Remember this. Stop, drop, and pray. Right there. Um, I have good intentions. Like, um, hey, dude, I'll pray for you. Um, But oftentimes, uh, life gets busy and I don't. So even on Realm, what my practice recently, and you can like go back and see some of my posts, I think I've been doing this, is that I used to say praying because that's my intent. But what I'll do when I get the post is I'll pray. And then I'll say prayed. And that way, at least um, I'm being honest with myself and I'm taking care of that prayer right there. Uh, When you pray for somebody um, on the spot, it only takes a minute or two. And it draws you and that person towards God in the middle of the day. So stop, drop, and pray. But then here at the end of verse 16, James doubles down. And he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And this is the first and only time that James uses this particular Greek word for prayer in this entire letter. And it means supplication. It's a passionate yet humble begging of the Lord. This goes beyond the one-time prayer of stopping, dropping, and praying. Supplication is not a form of prayer, but it's an attitude and a state of our heart that accompanies prayer. It's what Jesus called the asking, then the seeking, then the knocking. I've got a granddaughter who's seven She's getting bigger, and every time I see her, she says, hold me, hold me. We were at a little birthday party the other night, and she came up and said, hold me, Papa. And I picked her up and held her, and like 10 minutes later, she's coming over to me like, hold me, hold me. And I think she has this, some kind of insecurity in crowds or whatever, but she's got this persistent um, asking of me. And, and there was a couple times where I'm going, Lydia. Like, I'm trying to eat my ice cream. But she's holding me. How would set the ice cream down and I pick her up? Because there's nothing I'd rather be doing, quite frankly, than embracing my granddaughter. This is supplication. Supplication is persistent asking. And in this particular case, James is telling us, uh, he's encouraging us towards persistent prayer for the healing of another in this case. And this persistent prayer is rooted in the faith that God cares, that He hears, and that He heals. And sometimes we need to pray persistently before the answer comes. I don't understand it. It's a mystery. Donald Whitney says this about persistent prayer. He says, as the joy of a baby's birth is greater because of the months of anticipation, So is the joy of an unanswered prayer after persistent praying. C.S. Lewis has this to say about persistent prayer. We know that we can act and that our actions produce results. Everyone who believes in God must therefore admit, quite apart from the question of prayer, that God has chosen to write the whole history with His own hand. 
most of the events that go out in the universe, go on in the universe, excuse me, are indeed out of our control, but not all of them. It's like a play or a movie in which the scene and the general outline of the story is fixed by the author, but certain minor details are left for the actors to improvise. It may be a mystery why he should have allowed us to cause real events at all, but it is no odder that he should allow us to cause them by praying than by any other method. Wayne Grudem calls this, he has a a term for this, he calls it providential concurrence. That in God's providence, he's going to do what God's going to do. But somehow, he works with our prayers. And I don't understand it. But I want to engage in it. God hears the prayers of the righteous. Not the righteous, those who have their act together, but those like you and me who have been made righteous by faith in Jesus. The righteous praying prayers of faith for one another. The persistent praying according to God's will has great power in effect. Let me ask this. Do you find yourself frustrated and exasperated in prayer? Like not even knowing who to pray for. There's so much to pray for in this world right now. Like where do I start? I don't even have enough time. Yeah, I should probably pray for my country, but there's, there's 230 other countries that are in worse shape than, than ours. Where do we pray? Can I encourage you to pray in proximity? Prayer, uh, direct your prayers where, um, um, in the proximity of people God has put in your um, Pray in proximity. I'll just stop right there. Stop and pray for people right where you're at. When they confess their sins, when you see a prayer request on Realm, wherever you are, stop, drop, and pray. But who do you continue to supplicate for? Ask, seek, and knock. I can't do it for everybody. I'm one man with limited time. And I would say this, that that God wants you to to engage in supplication, to ask and to seek and to knock on behalf of other people that are suffering. Who are these people? They're people that God has providentially put you in proximity with. Your family members, people in your community group, people at your gym, your neighbors. think Think of these circles and the concentric circles that God has you in. But there's got to be a small group that God has, um, that you find yourself intentionally supplicating for. And then he gives us an example in verse 17 of a fervent prayer. Elijah was a prophet and a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently or earnestly that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Elijah was a prophet of God, but he was, a, he was a human being like you and I. He was weak and frail. He put his tunic on one arm at a time, just like us. And he prayed fervently or earnestly. And what that means is he intentionally set aside time and went to a place to pray. This is different than stopping, dropping, and praying for somebody. This is different than praying without ceasing. Um, The most common answer, we talked about it at PLI the other night, the most common answer when I ask people, how's your prayer life? It's like, well, you know, I talk to God all day long. That's good. That's praying without ceasing. But fervent prayer is not that. 
Um, fervent prayer is intentionally finding a place and a time to pray on a consistent basis. Jesus practiced what he preached. Although Jesus was praying without ceasing, he was in fellowship with the Father um, every minute of every day. He made time and a place to be in intimate communion with the Father. Again and again, he entered intentionally into prayer. He would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. He rose very early in the morning while it was still dark, and he departed and went out to a desolate place to pray. <coughs> Excuse me. Before selecting the 12 disciples, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray to God. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Even in Gethsemane, three times he went away and he prayed. From the beginning of his ministry to the eve of Good Friday, he made the practice of private prayer an essential part of his relationship with the Father. This is God that needed to do that. This is God who prayed without ceasing to, this, to his Father. And he needed to get away. And don't, don't let this, don't be motivated by guilt or condemnation here today. Be motivated by wanting more of God, wanting more of the Father. That's what prayer is about. Paul, in Ephesians 6.18, encouraged us to pray by the power of the Spirit with this type of fervency and supplication. He said, pray at all times in the Spirit. And what he's saying is, talk to God. That's what that praying is. With all prayer, that's the fervency. That's the word that James is using here. This is the intentional setting time and a place to pray. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, asking, seeking, and knocking. In many ways, this type of praying is the measure and the depth of our relationship with the Father. And then he prayed again, Elijah did, in verse 18, and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. This is just a reminder that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, that he answers prayer, and that anything good happening it's an answer to prayer somewhere. It has nothing to do with, with any of our accomplishments. It's, it's all His grace. And finally, in verse 19 and 20, this letter comes to a grinding halt. There's nothing super tidy or neat with James, yet he winds things up with that which is most important. And what's most important is that you and I have assurance of salvation. And that assurance of salvation comes from a working faith. We get assurance by seeing that there's a direction in our working faith, which includes prayer. James teaches the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. You see, there's, there's nowhere in God's Word, there's nowhere in James that says that, that you can pray a prayer and then go live your life for 40 years and not have some direction towards holiness. And so he says, he reminds us that, yes, God cares, and he hears, and he acts in regards to your physical and emotional pain. 
but he cares most about your spiritual condition. He cares most about our relationship with him. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that, whatever, that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see, we have a responsibility to one another in the local church. Responsibility to pray for one another, to confess our sins to one another that we might be healed. But we have a greater responsibility to one another, that, one another to help one another turn from wandering away from the faith, to help one another repent. This is why the confessing of sin is so important. So James wraps up his letter to the church, reminding us of the priority of praying for the healing of one another, spiritual, physical, and emotional. So let me ask you, how's your prayer life? Are you quicker to pray or are you quicker to fix things? Have you been enjoying intentional communion with God? Have you been leaning into Him or are you leaning more on your own resources? Remember that prayer is first about relationship. Remember to pray in proximity. Praying for those that God has intentionally and providentially put in your midst. And next is pray for healing. Ask, seek, knock that God would heal people for His glory and for the good of others, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And then know that God's going to do what He's going to do. That every believer, every Christian, every child of God, every friend of God is going to be completely healed one day. And we can stand in that hope today. Remember that God cares for you. He hears you. And he wants to bring healing to you. Let's pray. God, we bless you. We thank you, Father, that you incline your ear to us. That your eyes are set on your children. That you see us in our um, cheerfulness and you see us in our suffering. And God, I thank you that you care for our suffering, for our trouble for trials of various kinds that we experience and endure. And again, I thank you that you can bring temporal healing, if not full healing, through your word, by the prayers of the saints, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But God, I thank you that our um, emotional and physical healing is not what we put our hope in today but it's that one day you will return and you will make all things right. That you will create a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more suffering and no more death. So God, we long for that day. In the meantime, would you, um, would you press into us and would you cause us to press into you so that we can grow in the love and knowledge 
of our God whose arms are wide open and just waiting for us to come. So we love you. We thank you that you love us more. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.